This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Kate Andrews and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. So these days, and I mean literally the past few days, it seems that any market surprise could be around the corner and not in a good way. We had a big update this morning, James, from the Bank of England, which announced a major intervention into gilts. Why don't you tell us about it? So the Bank of England has intervened to buy gilts. And it says it has done this to prevent a material risk to financial stability. Now, this is a dramatic action by the bank. It is normally the kind of action the bank takes in response to an external circumstance. This is not precisely the same, but it is in effect the same as quantitative easing, what they are doing. But they are doing this because of the market's reaction to the government's economic statement last Friday. And I think sometimes on this podcast, you can get kind of caught up in the moment of a day-to-day, I think it's just worth stepping back and saying that we have the Bank of England intervening to maintain financial stability in response to a government statement. Now, I think what has happened is... That the Sorry, gov- James, quickly, just to put that in perspective, we usually see these kinds of interventions when there's like global catastrophe, right? Financial markets meltdown, a pandemic, possibly an energy crisis. I think the point you're making there is that budget decision, fiscal policy announced by government, has led to this intervention this time around that's unique to the UK yeah. and really quite worrying. Yeah. So what's going on is you, ha- you have a deeply uncertain environment, not just in the UK, but globally. And into that deeply uncertain environment, this government chose to, to, to push a series of radical policies, emphasising how bold and different they were from what had gone before. And the markets, I think, took fright at them, I think is a, is a reasonable way to, to describe what has happened. So the bank is now having to step in to do this. The bank stepped in to do this today for a very specific reason. What was happening to gilts was forcing LDI pension funds to become kind of forced sellers. And that could have, if you, according to Ed Conway's reporting for Sky News, basically, if a bank hadn't acted, you could have seen pension funds essentially going bust and people's private pensions being wiped out. Fraser, it was just last week that the Monetary Policy Committee announced that it was going to start quantitative tightening, that it was going to start selling off government debt. In just a matter of days, it has now reversed this policy, done a complete U-turn, and actually it's going to keep buying government debt and, and essentially start printing more money. Now, Liz Truss was very critical of quantitative easing during the campaign. She felt that it had played a big role in inflation. We seem to find ourselves in a situation now where the Bank of England is having to print more money, essentially come up with magic money tree policies, not just to make her policies possible, but to keep things afloat. Yeah, to keep things afloat, there is a general feeling. In fact, there was a note by Capital Economics last night suggesting that she needs the interest rate in the gilt yields, that's how much it costs the government to borrow, to be about 4% or under. If it gets above that, then she really does run out of money and would have to either cut public spending or abandon her tax cuts. So it's rather strange to see the Bank of England, which obviously is not wild about her splurge, basically bailing her out. I mean, when it's an intervention today, they cut down the government cost of borrowing quite sharply, as it 
was intended to do. So Liz Truss has got reason to be grateful that the Bank of England has yet again kicked the can further down the road in a way that she was criticising it for for the last wee while. But I would also argue that even if Rishi Sunak had won the leadership campaign and was there now, we would be seeing a lot, three-fifths, four-fifths of the misery we're seeing right now. Everything is being blamed on this trust, and that is because, in my mind, she made the calamitous mistake of timing her statement in the middle of a global change in fiscal mood, so monetary moods. We are seeing inflation rates rise up and down, right across the world. It's something you predicted, Kate, and then probably before anybody else 18 months ago. We're seeing the Fed increase rates faster than a lot of other people. And the Fed was, was the first to grasp the new economic reality, that inflation is going up and rates need to go up a lot more. Now, this is happening now. Take the German and French bond markets at a 10-year high. The WAN today is hitting an all-time low against the dollar in the same way that the pound did recently as well. You're seeing even in Japan, and the gilt yields are going up, and the mortgage misery is being seen right across the world from Bratislava to Brooklyn. So yes, Britain is facing this too. Now, in my view, what's happening is what Liz Truss has done is she should have sat this out. She should not have had her massive expansion, expansionary budget thing last week. She should have realised that against this backdrop, she was going to be blamed for all the mortgages going up. Anybody who's got a fixed term at 2% or something to renew at 5 or 6% is going to think that's Liz Truss. I've just come off the phone to a Tory MP, quite an economically literate one, who was blaming Liz Truss for the fact that his mortgage is going to go up way more than his, his tax cut is going to deliver him. So right now, her her juxtaposition of this means that she is absorbing all of the blame over something which is happening worldwide right now. Now, James would say, Fraser... Well, James is here. So, James, what do you say to the international side of this story? So it, it is quite clear that interest rates are rising around the developed world. It's also clear that guilt yields are rising around the developed world. But when you look at what market expectations are for UK interest rate rises now... It is clear that the UK interest rate rises that the markets are now think need to happen is steeper. But how it, much steeper, roughly speaking? Because right now the markets think the rates are going to peak at about five and a half, six percent. I think it's six and a quarter, isn't it? Right. If it were not for trust, what do you reckon that would be? Oh, I think I think what was it before? It was about four and a half, five. So there is still some factor in here. Um, right, so in other words, if Sunak was in power right now, we'd still be looking at base rates doubling. I think you can't. I think I think, I think you can't. I think I think because I think it is erroneous to think that the individual who is in charge is the key determinant. I think if you look at what Hugh Pill said yesterday, Chief Economist of the Bank of England, he was clear that the loosening of fiscal policy was one of the things that required a significant monetary Mm. policy response. Now, that's the Bank of England from the people setting the interest rates. That is what they're saying. It was a component. Okay, behave yourselves. I also think that if you look at what's happening to gilt yields, it is again quite clear if you set the US... Germany and the UK on the same chart, it is clear that while US and German ones are going up too, the UK one is steeper. And I think it is also worth noting that I don't see the ECB or the Fed having to intervene in the way that the Bank of England has intervened today. But maybe now, it would be intervening later on if it hadn't done so today. Because I also think that you see the same thing just, just on currency, right? Obviously, a large part of this is a strong dollar story. You are completely right about that. But you can't get around the fact that if you look since August at who are the worst performing currencies against the dollar, the UK is at the bottom of that 
pack doing even worse than the Swedish krona. And I think one of the points here is to, to, to supplement your point, Fraser, I would actually say, is right now, a lot of this stuff is an ugly baby contest. And what the UK government chose to do was to step into the spotlight and to say, we're bold, we're radical, we're doing something different. That turns the market spotlight on you. Mm -hmm. And in the kind of conditions that you and Kate have been describing, I think one of the last things you want to do is turn the market spotlight on yourself. I think we are seeing the consequences of that now. And I also think that in terms of political terms, there's a question of ownership here. I mean, previously, the government had a reasonable argument that interest rate rises were in part being caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, because that had sent energy prices, commodity prices rising. Now, as you say, politically, the government owns these interest rate rises. And I think that is a real problem for the Tory party. One senior Tory MP said to me, look, you know, look, you A, have to understand how since 2008, low interest rates have been a key part of the building of this new Tory coalition. You know, what is one of the things that defines these new red ball seats is they tend to have higher levels of home ownership than the national average. Yes, houses are much cheaper up there, but more people are buying the houses. Like when, look, when Tories won Hartlepool in that short by-election victory, one of the defining features of a seat was how high at levels of home ownership was. And the Tories in the 2019 election, they lost by double-digit margins among people who rent in both the private rented sector and the social rented sector. They won among people who have a mortgage by 10 points. And as this Tory MP said to me, what we have just done is imposed a huge tax on our base. You were citing that Tory MP the other day. You really have to be, if you have a mortgage, you have to be earning a huge amount of money, way beyond 150000 way beyond 170000 for the tax cut to offset the increase in your mortgage payment that is coming. And I think that is a real political problem for the Tories. Fraser, is it not telling that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, broadly speaking, have gone silent? I mean, there's an argument that perhaps you just wait to see where the market goes. You expect them to calm down. Of course, we've had this announcement that at the end of November, we're going to get some more information about fiscal discipline from the Treasury. But I think it's increasingly notable as these bad news stories come out. And it's, I don't know exactly what the average is. It feels like it's every hour. It's probably more like once every four hours. But it's coming in thick and fast. Is it not becoming more difficult for the two people at the center of these decisions to stay so quiet? Difficult, but what strikes me is something a bit different. How few people there are speaking up for them. Right now, normally when this happens, if it's a player project, even a Johnson project, you'd have outriders, you'd have allies, you'd have people trying to explain, trying to calm the markets, trying to say it's not that bad, trying to say, as I've attempted to, that like three-fifths to four-fifths of this would be happening anyway. Is that sort of silence that really strikes me? And it just makes me remember that, of course, Parliament's in recess right now. Politicians are still around. They're talking to each other. But fewer than a third of them backed Liz Truss for leader. So all of them have got what none of them wanted. And those who, not well, about 70% of them didn't want. And those who didn't want her, didn't want her for exactly this reason. So the feeling of vindication is very, very strong right now. There is a whole bunch of economically dry Tories who are thinking, I told you so. They're saying to the members, you should have listened to us. Politicians, they're, they're thinking, we, we, Rishi Sunak predicted exactly this, the run on the pound, the, the guilt, the mortgage going, the interventions. All of this was, was predicted by Rishi Sunak, who got the most MPs backed. So I think there are problems in so many dimensions here. 
And yes, it is problematic that Sistros is nowhere to be seen, although I have spoken to people who have spoken to her, and they say that she's in surprisingly good moods right now. She sort of sees um, that the markets are all basically in a fuss and they'll calm down, etc. Quasi Quartang is, um, as I understand it, off the mood that he should just be sort of silent and let people chill for a while, people will calm down. But you really struggle to see outside the pages of the um, press that many voices saying that what Liz Truss is doing is right and this is long-term better for the country, etc. It won't be long before she needs to pass some votes, and on the Monday when MPs come back, she'll be asking them to vote for a national insurance cut, for example. Now, MPs cannot vote against a budget measure, but what we heard last week was not a budget by her own measures. So I think, to put it mildly, next week's Tory party conference will be interesting, and she will have party management issues. There are a whole bunch of Tories who now think that they have just seen their political future and it's got rather short. And James, what will the mood be like at that Tory party conference? You touch on this in your column for the magazine this week. I think people have noticed the incoming of anonymous quotes and comments from Tory MPs saying that both the Prime Minister and the Chancellor are in serious hot water, even comments like she has to go. But we're not seriously looking at another leadership election in the near future, are we? I, I think the Tory party would be taxing the public's patience to a quite remarkable degree to, to, to inflict more <laughs> psychodrama on the country. I think one of the questions for Liz Truss is this, is what does she do when Parliament returns on October 12th. I think there will undoubtedly are there are Tory MPs who think that the government needs to try and get ahead of this, that you don't want a situation where you'll be UQ'd every day by the Labour Party on what is going on in the economy, and that it would be better to stand up on October 12th and announce measures designed to reassure the markets. The problem is, in terms of reassuring the markets, my hunch is that there are probably only two things that would do that. One is to row back on the tax cuts, but that would, I, I think I think Liz Truss, you know, this is this is what she believes in. That this is what she stayed and fought in politics, and you know, you have to, in some ways, you have to admire the fact that this is this is what she stands for. I don't think she is going to want to stand there and and row back from. Them. But she could delay them, couldn't she, James? Not abandon them, but say, actually, on reflection, we've decided to to put the income tax cut, which, by the way, wasn't guaranteed under Rishi Sunak, to put that down to his original timetable. There are things that she could do that would be fall rather short of a complete retreat. Yes, but I think I think that any kind of retreat, you then start into a salami slice of what is viable. So what should then do? Go to the NHS and take... The other option of- is big public spending cuts. Now, there are some people who would say that this is how you square the circle, right? And logically, you can have lower taxes if you have lower spending. I mean, the challenge is that it is very difficult to see where the easy cuts come from, right? In nearly every case, you start ruling out this or that, and very much, very soon, you've essentially ruled out most of the budget. So you start off by saying, well, you obviously can't cut the NHS politically, but that's not possible, especially given that she is committed to the extra funding for social care that was designed to be raised by the increase in national insurance that she's reversing. So you can't do that. Can you really cut the education budget at this moment? Can you cut welfare at a time when people are facing such a, a difficult... She's promised more money for defence. ...winter. She's promised more money for... A lot more money for defence. ...for defence, but I mean, not until 2030. She, she, yeah, but she, you can say you need to ramp it up. Anyway, it'd be hard to 
cut defense, put it out. that way. The justice system is, I think, we would is clearly at breaking point with lawyers on strike. Uh, we are getting to justice delayed and yeah. justice denied. I just struggle to see where these spending cuts are. So, if you can't find specific individual cuts, you get to a kind of get its axe point of like we'll just take twenty percent or ten percent of every budget. I genuinely don't know whether you could get that through the House of Parliament because Tory MPs fear this that Tories can lose elections because people feel that there is kind of underinvestment in the public realm. And if you basically took 10% out of everything, at that point, ambulances are not exactly turning up in one minute at the moment. But at that point, every ambulance delay, it's like your point about interest rates, every ambulance delay is on you. Everyone says that every extra minute someone had to wait is because you chose to do this. So I think, I think there's, there are things that are economically might tick the box in terms of squaring the... Uh, you know, squaring the circle, but are politically undoable. And then the things that you, other things that are politically undoable, because I think they would be such a reversal of your of your agenda if you are Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, but might reassure the market. So I think I think politics is very much in flux right now in terms of, of, of where they go. I also think the other question is, we wait on kind of external events. I mean, one thing we haven't had a chance to discuss on this podcast is whether the clear sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline is the beginning of a Russian war on European energy infrastructure. If it is, that is going to send energy prices much higher with and risk blackouts and other problems. So we are we are in a world right now where I think there are very, very few certainties. And we should be very cautious about looking more than kind of 24 hours, 48 hours ahead. Because I think there are moments when, you know, they all say that when the, the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. The tide is receding at an immensely rapid rate. And people who might have thought that they were absolutely fine because they were swimming starkers so far out to sea are suddenly going to, to, to be exposed. And that, and that could have all sorts of unpredictable financial consequences. Lovely mental image there. Everyone keep your clothes on. Thank you, James. And thank you, Fraser. <laughs>